Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Now, here's your host, Nate Herbst. Welcome to The God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm in the studio today with a friend. Hey, I'm Aaron Giesler, and I'm from Grace Church, Albuquerque. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Gary Habermas, world-renowned expert on the evidence for the resurrection. But before we get to the interview, I wanted to ask Aaron to tell us just a little bit about Grace Church. Well, thanks, Nate, for having me. Uh, Grace Church is a church up uh, the northeast. It's located on the corner of San Antonio and Louisiana. It's a non-denominational Bible church. Uh, We have services at 9 and 1030 every Sunday. Everyone's welcome to join. It's a come-as-you-are church. If you want to take a look and get to know about Grace Church before you actually show up, you can go to gracechurchabq.org to find out more information about Grace Church uh, and all the things that we do. Like I said, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Gary Habermas today, and for the next two weeks, we're going to have a three-part interview leading up to Easter with Dr. Habermas, who's considered by most to be the authority on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the evidence for the resurrection. He's written about 40-plus books on this topic and others, but many of those deal with the evidence for Christ's historical existence, the evidence for Christ's resurrection, things like that. He's debated world-renowned atheists on this topic and killed them, I think. He is an expert on the evidence for the resurrection. Before he came into the field, most scholars would have laughed you out of the classroom if you said you believed in the resurrection. Today, things have changed. Today, even secular scholars have to agree to most of the important data points concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is phenomenal, and Gary Habermas is the man that made that what it is today. So I'm so thankful for his life's work and all that he's done to defend the resurrection and to prove that Jesus really did rise from the dead. It is a privilege to have him on the show today. He chairs the philosophy department at Liberty University, and he's an incredible guy. You can find out more about Dr. Habermas at GaryHabermas.com. I hope that you're excited to hear from him. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview with Dr. Gary Habermas. Welcome to the God Solution Show, Dr. Habermas. Thank you. Good to be here with you. (laughs) You bet. I wanted to first start by talking a little bit about the historical Jesus. Okay. Bart Ehrman, probably the biggest skeptic of our faith alive, recently wrote that if you doubt Christ's historical existence, you're a mythicist. I don't even know if that is a literal word, but he coined the term. What is yeah, he saying it, there? In, in the literature, that has become the, uh, the word describing folks who don't believe Jesus ever lived. So what is the evidence for Christ's historical existence? Well, it takes him several hundred pages to, <laughs> to lay it all out. There's, there's a lot of it. Um, I guess we could... Uh, we could say it comes in several layers. Um, we have the uh, the evidence of the New Testament, which these mythicists don't like very much. They say it's a prejudice book and blah, blah, blah. But um, <clears throat> it's interesting that a Bart Ehrman would be trusting things from 
uh, the New Testament. And, and I'll tell you what that rule is. Critics don't uh, trust the New Testament across the board. But what they do is they cite critically ascertained passages. And that's what Bart Ehrman is doing in that passage. That That's one way to do it, uh, is to go after texts of the New Testament that meet skeptical standards. And of course, Christians accept the whole New Testament. But if you're arguing from a critical viewpoint, that's certainly one area of knowledge. Then we have some sources outside the New Testament. Bargerman, for example, lists uh, a dozen facts uh, that support the crucifixion of Jesus, a dozen independent sources, I should say. And of those dozen independent sources, four of them are not even in the New Testament. So that raises the possibility that we have texts outside the New Testament, and we certainly do, for the life of Jesus. I did a book many years ago called The Historical Jesus, and uh, I list about 50 to 60 things we can learn from sources outside the New Testament, uh, all of them non-Christian. And then we have a few, not many, but we have a few archaeological um, items that help shed our uh, shed light on our knowledge about Jesus and so on. So those are some categories. The last one, a fourth one, are Christian sources outside the New Testament. We have some very early ones from, uh, well, Clement, Clement of Rome wrote before the New Testament was even completed. Uh, and then we have a few others um, from just a few years after the New Testament. So these are are uh, very valuable texts. In all four categories together, I argue that we can learn probably about 130 things concerning Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and uh, some factors concerning the earliest church. Well, Doctor, you talk about these extra-biblical, these independent sources and accounts. Um, right. What what are some of the major things that they confirm about the historical Jesus? Well, now, if we go back to Bart Ehrman and let him tell you which ones he thinks are the most valuable, he cites two sources, Tacitus, the Roman historian, and Josephus, the Jewish-turned-Roman historian. Um, Jew, uh, Josephus became the the historian and uh for a, a couple of um, Romans, and actually left the Jerusalem area and moved to Rome um, to do his uh, work. And almost every critical scholar likes those two, Josephus and Tacitus. But we have a lot of others. Suetonius is an historian who writes from the same time as Tacitus. We have uh, Pliny the Younger. He is a governor in what is today well, in Bithynia, which is today in Turkey. And he tells us what some early Christians believed. And one memorable phrase was, he says, these folks sang hymns to, and he, he doesn't mention Jesus there, but he says to this man, to this founder, he says they sang hymns to him as to a god. And um, that's that's an early recollection we have a number of others, from a, a Lucian, uh, who is a satirist and historian. He's a Syrian writer. Uh, we have another Syrian, Marabar Serapian. Anyway, the list goes on. We actually even have two emperors 
uh, Hadrian and uh, Trajan, who write about some how the Romans were treating Christians in the uh, early church and uh, in letters that they wrote. And uh, those letters, uh, we still have that, uh, you know, what they wrote about uh, believers. So there's a lot of varied material that we can use to put together a life of Jesus. So going back to Ehrman, we were talking a little bit about his, a couple books ago, but the next book that he wrote after that, he tries to describe how Jesus became God in his words. There was a great, great book written that was released the same day we interviewed almost all the authors for that book called How God Became Jesus. It was a rebuttal of his book, How Jesus Became God. But in that book, he came up with kind of a novel new uh, way of refuting the resurrection. And he claimed that since Joseph of Arimathea wasn't mentioned in verses 3 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 15, we could be confident that Jesus was never buried at all. He was just left to, to rot and, and be eaten by vultures and things like that. And so the whole resurrection account is, is false. Uh, Craig Evans came on the show and talked about that a couple years ago. If any of the listeners want, they could go to godsolutionshow.com and get that interview. But I thought I'd ask you uh, how you would refute that claim of Ehrman's. Well, to me, I think if, if it's expressed the way you, uh, you did, the, the idea being that because, Joseph, that because they're not mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 15 that it didn't happen, um, I think that's kind of, kind of ludicrous, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, no, nobody claims that the, the, the material that Paul passes on, he says, I gave you what I was given in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Um, nobody claims that, that this material is exhaustive or everything we know about the account. Now, and he does say that uh, Christ is what he calls him there, and he says Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again uh, from the dead the third day. Twice he repeats the phrase, according to the scriptures. Uh, he does acknowledge the burial, yeah. and I don't know, but it seems to me the word burial better fits uh, the burial in the tomb than it does throwing the body in a hole in the ground. Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound like a very ceremonious burial to me. But uh, he's right, Bart Ehrman's right, it does not mention the, the men who did the burying, or the women, doesn't mer doesn't uh, mention the tomb, and so on. But a lot of uh, writers believe that it is definitely implied, because in a Jewish setting, to say it this way, what goes down is what comes out uh, of the tomb. In a Jewish setting, by far the predominant belief was resurrection of the body. And if you use the prelude to that creedal passage that Paul repeats, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again from the dead, and appeared, if you use that, that sequence... You've got dead, buried, rose, appeared. And, uh, by the way, rose is what happened in the tomb, appeared is what happened outside the tomb. But, but if you have that sequence, you have this, this phrase I used, what goes down is what comes up. And if the body is what goes down and the grave is empty, then 
I mean, even if he were thrown in a pit in the ground, if it, if it's an empty hole in the ground and he's out, then what happened happened to his body. So, uh, you know, that's that's implied right there in the uh, in the passage. Yeah, I mean, it talks about burial. <laughs> Correct. So it seems it like does. he's grasping at straws here, and it's what struck me as funny is last one of the last times I interviewed you, I asked about the question of Ehrman's claim that. You know, the evidence seems to point to a resurrection, but it doesn't matter what the evidence says because resurrections don't happen. And you noted how he was assuming his own presupposition. He was importing it into his conclusion. And Correct. I think, I think here he's showing how weak that argument was by just jumping to a new argument that seems equally unable to explain all the data. It seems like it lacks a lot of explanatory scope, power, things like that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. Go to godsolutionshow.com for more information on The God Solution Show. We're interviewing Dr. Gary Habermas about the resurrection, and he'll be on the next two weeks as well. You can go to garyhabermas.com to find out more about Dr. Habermas, the world's expert on the evidence for the resurrection. So here we are interviewing him on that topic. Let's get right back to it. So here's, I think, the ultimate question is how important is the resurrection? Well, Paul says in that exact same passage, I mean, there's 58 verses there in the resurrection. It just barely beats uh, Luke chapter 24, if you just count in terms of verses, uh, as, as being the longest passage in the New Testament of the resurrection. And right after Paul gives this list of resurrection appearances, he goes on to say that he was preaching the same message as the other apostles were, and then he uh, goes further, and from verses 12 through, through uh, 19, he talks about what Christianity would be without the resurrection. And basically, he names about everything you could name and says, we wouldn't have this or this or this or this if it weren't for the resurrection. And when you put all that together, uh, I mean, basically, you have something like this, the sentence, with Christian, with the resurrection, we have everything of value in Christianity. Without the resurrection, we don't have Christianity at all. And I think that's that's Paul's point. I often say in my lectures that verse nineteen, First uh, Corinthians fifteen nineteen, is maybe the most pessimistic verse in all of Scripture. And it says, "If Christ has not been raised, then we are of all people most miserable." And I think that's it. I mean, again, with the resurrection, we have our fondest and deepest beliefs. Without it, we don't have a distinctly Christian hope. You know, you might look elsewhere for a hope, but don't look to Christianity, because Christianity's failed if Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then he goes on and assumes the resurrection. The very next verse, 20, says, However, Jesus has been raised from the dead and become the first fruits of those who sleep. So it's almost like saying, well, you know, I got a little down there talking about what Christianity was without the resurrection, but... We forget Jesus is raised from the dead, so let's talk about what Christianity is with the resurrection. And he goes on and gives us a list of things, ending with um, the believer's resurrection, and then he goes on to say in 1558 that we need to stand firm and be committed to good works because uh, they're not in vain based on the fact that the Christian gospel is true. So... Uh, I mean, I would say just everything of importance flows from the resurrection, and we call it the gospel, and it's the center of Christianity and so on. So, And the interesting thing is that even non-Christian 
uh, uh, scholars like Bart Ehrman would uh, admit that the resurrection is the center of Christianity. That's why Bart's spending so much time on it. Well, Doctor, we've talked a lot about Bart Ehrman, but what about some of the other conspiracy theories or rebuttals of the resurrection? Uh, Like I heard one that uh, it wasn't Jesus, it was really his twin that was killed, or... What are some new ones out there? What are some ones that are gaining traction in modern times? Yeah, you, you know, first of all, let, let me make a preliminary comment. There, there are arguably uh, five uh, different popular kind of approaches. The interesting thing is that all five of them are supposed by somebody in the pages of the Gospels and three of the five are thought up by Christians. In other words, Christians can have questions or doubts like anybody else, but they're right there in Scripture. So someone doesn't even have to read past the Gospels, they can read these objections. The twin brother theory is not there because it's a very, very minor theory. And there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole host of issues with the twin brother theory, but I've always thought it was rather amazing that so Jesus has this twin, and you know Thomas is called the twin in the New Testament, the Apostle Thomas. He he's called the twin, but Jesus supposedly has this twin, and when he appears to his followers, you've got these men who've been with him for three years, and they can't tell the difference between Jesus and the twin, even though they've you know they presumably know both of them. Uh, they can't tell the difference. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, is uh, where Paul tells us that James saw the risen Jesus. James can't tell the difference between Jesus and the twin. And the kicker is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And she can't tell the difference between Jesus and the twin. And to continue the the kind of joke here, um, the one who is the twin has marks of crucifixion in his arms and feet and side. So it's just some of that kind of stuff. You know, mom doesn't know the boys. It's things like that that just kind of keep that theory from being held by many people. Today, very interestingly, um, some scholars take these theories, but they're an amazingly small number given everybody who is writing on the subject. I have a bibliography on the resurrection of about 3,400 sources from 1975 to date. Wow. Of those, oh, this is just off the top of my head. This isn't anything scientific. But I would say maybe there's 75 or 100 out of 3,400 sources <clears throat> that would presume to say something else happened and what it is. So... It's not terribly common today to be picking those theories. They were much more common 100, 150 years ago. You talk about the minimal facts. You've put together these minimal facts that even secular scholars would agree on. Right. What are some of those minimal facts, and why are they important? Well, I have two lists. One I call the accepted facts, and then from the accepted facts, I basically uh, cut the list in half and make a shorter list that I call the minimal facts. And this is kind of the way they work. Um, Let's say you're talking to a skeptic, and let's just say I have no idea, I've never counted, but just to make this nice and and even, let's say there are 
100 different little tiny statements that were told in the Gospels and, and uh, some of the sermons in Acts and so on and a few various other places in the New Testament. Let's say there are 100 things that, are, that we are told about the, the trial, the beating, the crucifixion, the burial, um, the death, uh, resurrection, and appearances and ascension of Jesus. Let's say there's 100 different things. Now, the Jesus Seminar, the, the group that you know, tosses the beads in the hat and yeah. it basically, depending on how you count the red and pink beads, which are the more positive ones, uh, between approximately 80 and 90 percent of the so-called red-letter words of Jesus are rejected as being historical. So with them, you're down to 10 to 20 percent of the, if this, this mythical number of 100. All right, so let's say they think they're being very, very skeptical, and a skeptic says to you, well, the, the Gospels have 100. Uh, I, I'll give you 20. I'll give you just 20 of them. And you might lose some of your favorite ones. You might not. We'll see. But I'll give you 20. And I'm basically coming along and saying, well, you know what? You're way too conservative. Um, I don't need your 20. Uh, I'll take a dozen. And that's my, that's my larger list of a dozen facts. And then I'll say, you know, the dozen facts, and obviously I'm having fun with them when I do this, but I'll say, nah, the dozen facts are way too conservative. Let, let's cut the list down to six. So I'm down to about one-third of what the critics will grant at 20. And I will use only these six facts. You think these six facts are historical. Bart Ehrman accepts all of them. In fact, almost everybody accepts all of them. And I will just use these six, and here's where they're important. I think I can show that Jesus was raised from the dead using nothing but your six facts. So, bottom line, if the Bible is the Word of God, if the New Testament is the Word of God, Jesus is obviously raised from the dead. If the Bible is not the Word of God, and it's this natural book with holes in it that you think it is, I will still use your reduced list of facts, and Jesus has been raised from the dead. So especially if I know the guy and we're joking around, I'll, I'll teasingly say to him, so on the minimal facts argument, it's heads I win, tails you lose. Whichever way you want it, Jesus has been raised from the dead. So that, that's kind of the way the, uh, the, the list works. It takes this minimal list that everybody concedes and says that we can show the resurrection happen on those facts alone. What if whoever we're talking to is even busier and doesn't even have time for all of your six facts? And, then, and you say, what are the top three evidences, extra-biblical or biblical, for the resurrection? The best evidences? Top three. I would say number one, far and away, is... Now, I'm, I'm wording this statement very carefully, but I'm wording it in a way that everybody, including Bart Ehrman, accepts. But I would say the first one is, the early Christians, the disciples, and a few others, they had experiences that they believed were appearances of the risen Jesus. In other words, the report of the appearances is the number one, I would say, most important thing. If I would take a second one, I would go with the fact that this was proclaimed uh, very, very early, very early. In fact, more and more scholars are starting to say that our earliest sources are not from the Gospel of Mark 40 years after the cross, but are our earliest sources date one to two years 
after the cross. That's just amazing. One to two years. So the first one is the claimed eyewitness experiences. The second one is early. And I think thirdly is that these people turned the world upside down. And I don't argue that they all died as martyrs. I don't, we can't prove that. But I would argue that they turned the world upside down. They were totally transformed based on what they believed were these uh, appearances of the risen Jesus. It was the center of their faith. That's why they turned the world upside down. If you let me have a few more, I would use Paul and James, two skeptics who become Christians when they think they've seen the risen Jesus. But if I only had three, I'd go with these claimed appearances, the uh, earliness of the proclamation. It didn't develop over time and their transformations to the point of being willing to die for their faith. I hope you enjoyed the first part of our three-part interview with Dr. Habermas about the resurrection. You can find out more about Dr. Habermas at Gary Habermas, that's G-A-R-Y-H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S dot com, GaryHabermas.com. I hope that you'll check out his website and buy a bunch of his books at Amazon. You can find his books anywhere, on the resurrection and on other topics as well. Well, What we talked about today was some of the evidence for the resurrection. Again, tune back in next week for the second part of the interview and more evidence for the resurrection. But what this means is that you can be confident that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. If you've never gotten to that point of putting your trust and your faith in him alone for your salvation, I can't think of a better day to do that than right now. You could come to him realizing that the evidence is strong, that he really did conquer death, and he actually promised you in John 6:40 that if you believe in him, he'll do the same for you. I would encourage you to do that right now, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to verbalize that through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me new life. I ask that you would come into my life, that you'd be my Savior and my Lord, that you'd make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The Bible says that if you took that step and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone today, that you'll be adopted into his family and that you can look forward to an eternity with him in heaven and a life of purpose and meaning on this planet. I hope that you took that step today and I'd love to hear about it if you did. You could go to godsolutionshow.com and use the contact form to let me know that you made that decision. Well, you could also do a lot more while you're at godsolutionshow.com. You could see a list of local churches that you could visit. You could get all of our past shows and so much more. I hope that you'll go to godsolutionshow.com and get in touch with us. Well, like I said, Dr. Habermas is going to be on the next couple of weeks, and it's going to be really fun hearing from him more about the resurrection. I hope that you're gearing up for Easter, thinking about how you can make a difference for Christ this Easter season. A lot of people this time of year have soft hearts towards Christ and the gospel. I think it's a neat societal time where people are thinking more about the implications of the holiday, kind of like at Christmas time. I hope that you're already being strategic about this and not missing an incredible opportunity. I would encourage you right now to think through a list of friends that don't know Christ, maybe co-workers, neighbors, relatives, etc., that you could invite to the Easter service at your church. Begin initiating a dialogue with them about the resurrection. Maybe even refer them to godsolutionshow.com where they could hear this interview and hear some of the evidence for the resurrection. Most importantly, share the gospel with them and share how you have been given new life in Jesus Christ because of your faith in him. My encouragement, though, is just to make the most of this Easter season sharing your faith with those around you. 
We do apologetics not just so that we can walk around thinking that we have all the answers, but really the point of this is to share the gospel with people and to help them understand that there are good reasons for faith in Jesus Christ. So definitely don't miss that this Easter season. I encourage you to keep tuning back in to the God Solution Show every week. Please tell your friends about it and get the word out. You can go to godsolutionshow.com to find out other ways you could partner too. You could donate to keep the show on the air or even to expand the ministry of the God Solution Show. And you could definitely get in touch with us at the site there as well. I'm so thankful that you're listening. I hope that you'll tune back in next week and definitely get friends involved in the show. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I believe that with everything in me, and I believe that the evidence for the resurrection backs that up. There is no other religion, there is no other worldview that even claims to have a leader or founder that beat death. Ours is unique, and not only is there a claim of that, but there's evidence to back it up. Jesus stands alone in all of human history as the only person that can offer you eternal life. I hope that you'll follow him and share him with your friends. Thanks again so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution with Nate Herbst. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of the God Solution.